Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the program. We have some live breaking news to get to you, courtesy of Donald Trump, who's there in New York and not a very happy guy right now. He's pretty angry, pretty upset, given what has transpired thus far today. So we're going to get all into this because he is raging. He is furious and he feels very strongly that this is, quote, not America. Hello, welcome. I'm Trish. Good to have you here. Trish Regan, as always, we are brought to you in part by our wonderful friends over at Legacy Precious Metals. Look, with everything going on in the world right now, I'm not kidding. Like, I'm very serious about sort of the, the, the level of discord that the nation finds itself in. It's one of the reasons why you want to be strategic. You want to be thoughtful about your investing, about your future. Another reason in addition to inflation, why you might be looking at gold, give them a ring. Our good friends at LegacyPMInvestments.com, 1-866-589-0560. It is a live show. I am watching your chat, so please weigh in with comments. Big news out of Donald Trump today. He was in court for the defamation trial. This is the second time he's been in court with Gene Carroll. They're, they are trying to decide the damages here. And the judge doesn't really seem to like him so much, nor does he seem to like the judge. There is a a situation with Donald Trump's attorney, Alina Hubba, and she wanted to say something. And the judge, he shot her down so fast and so hard, threatening her to be locked up. He'd lock her, that she'd be behind bars. I mean, what? so we're going to like threaten lawyers with jail time, I guess. That's what they're doing there. Judge Kaplan in New York. And so Trump was furious, furious. And he's been saying all along, you know, I just want to be able to defend myself. This isn't fair, et cetera, et cetera. And he raged at the judge and he stormed out of the courtroom. And then he took to social media. So let me share with you what he was saying on social media about the judge, Judge Kaplan. He said, there are so many things that could be brought into this case, things that I want to bring into this case that would totally exonerate me. Judge Kaplan is refusing me my constitutional right to due process to defend myself against this false accusation. This is a one-sided trial, he writes, where the other side is allowed everything and we are allowed nothing. He is an extremely abusive individual, the likes of which few have seen before, exclamation point. So again, putting this out just minutes ago there on Truth Social. And uh, I imagine, I imagine getting a lot of his fan base very, very worked up right now. You know, there's, there's so many lawsuits against him. It's hard to keep track. Alan Dershowitz wrote a book, Get Trump. Very aptly named, I would say, because there are so many. I mean, there's new developments, by the way, down in... Uh, Atlanta with Fanny and apparently some some seedy stuff. Uh, we, we, we can talk about that later. But the point being, there's so many of these lawsuits on and no one's perfect. You got judges that aren't perfect. You got prosecutors that aren't perfect. And so we're not in the courtroom, by the way. This is all coming to us via the reports. He's pretty upset. He's upset about this judge and doesn't feel that he's really getting the opportunity to, to say his side of things. Of course, it's it's defamation at this point. So his point is, well, you know, she's lying. And the more he doubles down on that, unfortunately for him, the harder it becomes because she's going to then say, oh, when you say I'm lying, you're defaming me. And so it goes, you see? So this is the process that's carrying out. And the left, they're kind of just eating it up as you would expect they would. 
And there was a, a former U.S. attorney from California who was on CNN just moments ago sort of gleefully talking about how much money this could cost Donald Trump. I want you to see this clip because it gives you a sense, if you would, about how they're just kind of like, yippee, yippee, yippee. I mean, this is not good, folks. This is not good. We shouldn't be wishing just because we don't like someone politically for them to be harmed in a financial sense. But you know the drill. Here we go. Two parts to it. One, his utter incorrigibility and nastiness, repeating it again and again, but also, and they've entered into evidence, his wealth, probably, in fact, um, and ironically, inflated uh, accounts of his wealth. So I don't know if there's a calculator uh, high enough for what they might be thinking about. They, at the end of the day, you'll, you'll, there'll be an issue on appeal whether maybe they went too high, but really they're just completely, uh, I think, uh, given the the freedom, but the but a sort of sober task of really what could make them stop? It's only money. So how high can you go? Yeah, I think they're asking for $12 million uh, in this particular case. I do want to ask you as to whether or not... Can I just say um, that's in compensatory. In compensatory, that's right. Could be to the roof. Right. The yeah. punitive damages are the, the damages that often are very, very, very high. Um, <laughs> okay. So the Jersey just says, you know, by the way, it's going to go to appeal, etc. But it's ugly, right? Like, let's just be honest, guys. This is really, really ugly. And then when you think of the motivation behind some of these trials, I mean, don't forget, this one was being paid for by none other than the guy who was paying for Nikki Haley's campaign. That was Reed Hoffman. He's one of the tech bros, right? Started LinkedIn. And he's a well-established Democrat. And yet he is there, I guess this is a get Trump scenario, paying all of Gene Carroll's legal fees. He was also paying for Nikki Haley's campaign. And so there's this feeling, you know what, like if they're motivated enough and they have deep enough pockets, they can go after you. And this is something that actually resonates, I think, with a lot of Americans. It's one of the reasons why you see Donald Trump succeeding more and more and more and more in the polls. He won New Hampshire pretty handily. And then there was a new poll that just came out yesterday, a Reuters-Ipsos poll that showed that, guess what? You know what? He's gained another six points. And in all of those swing states, he's gaining more. He's gaining more. And so the train has left the station. There's all this momentum. And I suspect the more they do this with all of these cases, whether it be this Jim Carroll thing, whether it be what Fannie Willis has going on down in Georgia, whether it be Jack Smith, any of these it just adds to his momentum. It makes him kind of feel like sort of Teflon Trump, if you were. That's going to be the new nickname, right? Because no matter what they hit him with, guess what? He comes back stronger. And Americans look at it and go, oof, you know, it's not fair. It's not right, etc." And he's a fighter and he's hitting back hard and he's going to continue. He's going to continue to do so. So he's got a situation now where they keep coming. And by the way, they may bankrupt him. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know, but like you look at what's going on. That's just th th this case aside, I mean, this is small potatoes. They're talking about basically taking away his whole business. That's the big one in the state of New York. I mean, wow, Letitia James, that's an insane kind of case, frankly, because, well, we can pick that one apart. I mean, for goodness sakes, think about it. If you decide you want to get a loan out on your house and you tell the bank, this is a kind of a crude analogy, but it's worth talking about. You tell the bank, hey, you know what? 
my house, I think, is worth this much, and it's got this many square feet, and it's got this much greatness, blah, blah, blah. And then the bank says, okay, well, we're going to either lend you the money, we're going to give you that home equity line of credit, or not. And we're going to do our own due diligence, and we're going to figure out if it's really worth that. And we'll make the loan based on that, effectively. And so it's kind of on the bank at some point. And, you know, Donald Trump, in his particular case, had a whole bunch of disclosures in there saying, you know, you got to check all this stuff out yourself, et cetera. Deutsche Bank, which was his bank, made the determination that it was worthwhile to lend money to the Trump organization. And guess what? They made money on that loan because he paid it all back and then some. So why is it that you have an attorney in New York City saying, oh, well, we're going to go after him. We're going to get him. There are no damages. You don't even have any damages. Anyway, uh, that's it's all messed up. But that is the kind of world we're living in. And you know what? Politically speaking, it plays to his advantage. Absolutely. Reed Hoffman, who was backing Jean Carroll in her legal case, he's out. With Nikki Haley, a new report saying, you know what, Reed Hoffman is not going to be donating any more money to Nikki Haley because she hasn't really performed as they would have thought. You know, I don't know what they're thinking. I'm just saying this. Like, I really don't know what any of these people are thinking. I mean, I know a lot of you like DeSantis, et cetera. But you're going to run to the right of Trump? Or, or Nikki, in her case, I guess she's running significantly to the left of him. I've joked that she ought to take Joe Biden's spot. I mean, she often sounds like a Democrat. But then again, it makes sense because you've got Reed Hoffman, a big-time Democrat, giving her money. Actually gave her $250,000. That was his donation to her super PAC. And, you know, he apparently contributed. Oh, this is interesting. This is very interesting. Apparently, according to this article, he had contributed $1.7 million to GOP campaigns over three cycles. So uh, perhaps perhaps he's uh, playing all sides. I-, I thought he was a Democrat, but that's interesting. The $1.7 million to GOP campaigns. I will say this. He's not a guy who likes Trump in any way, shape, or form. So one of the reasons he's given money to her is to keep her in the game. I keep saying, like, how does she stay in the game? She brags that she ran a really tight ship, and so they still have money, et cetera. But, I mean, that must have been one tight ship, let me just say. She's going to go down to South Carolina where, I'm sorry, she's probably going to get kind of humiliated, if you would, because it's her home state. So she's not going to win that. So what is the path? Is the path, let me throw this out there, is the path simply that she's hoping that he's going to wind up in jail and not able to accept the nomination, and therefore she swoops in and says, ah, I'm here, I'm, I'm your girl. I mean, that'll really rally Republicans to the polls, right? I mean, come on. I don't think that scenario works. And by the way, I'm pretty sure that you could still run from prison and you look at all the exit polls and people are like, yeah, I don't care. Even if he's convicted of a crime, I don't care. I'm still voting for him. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. What does that say? It says that he stands out from the pack in a pretty meaningful way because he strikes a chord with people that, well, the likes of Nikki Haley simply can't, or Ron DeSantis for that matter. But as Trump talks about how they're coming after him and they could come after you, he also points that out with Nikki Haley. And you know what? I'm going I'm to get to this sound in just a moment. This is him the other night in Nashua, New Hampshire. He's right. He's right in that, you know what? This is, this is kind of sort of crazy. And they're going after him left, right, and center. 
you think about the lack of stuff that's happened in terms of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and what may or may not be there, we're still twiddling our thumbs, waiting around, despite what seems like a lot of evidence. I mean, can you imagine if the if the tables were turned and Rachel Maddow and MSNBC had the chance to go after Biden, how much they would be doing on that one? And yet nothing. So they're going to keep going after him because they think that somehow they can use the law to their advantage for a political purpose, and that's kind of scary. And this is now their M.O. And Donald Trump's right when he points out to Nikki Haley, they'd do it to you too, in a heartbeat, if you were top dog. Watch. We didn't build hundreds of miles because if there's a board laying on the ground, they say that's a renovation. They call it a renovation. If there's two nails laying from 50 years ago, they say, oh, that was a renovation. These are very dishonest people, and you're always fighting them. And just a little note to Nikki. She's not going to win. She's not going to win. But if she did, she would be under investigation by those people in 15 minutes. And I could tell you five reasons why already. Not big reasons, mm-hmm. a little stuff that she doesn't want to talk about, but she will be under investigation within minutes. And, so- and, and he's not wrong. You see, they have realized that this is their path. And if you just go after someone legally enough, then eventually you'll succeed. The other thing that they've realized is their path is intimidation. And this has been a big deal. I mean, let's, let's think about the intimidation that we have all experienced as a society, whether it be cancel culture on steroids, whether it be, you can't put up the Trump sign because somehow that's hate speech. Wow. I mean, remember that one? When he was running for president in 2016 and in 2020, college campuses, you had kids saying, oh, I can't go into school today. I'm sick. I've got a mental health day I need to take because I just saw a Donald Trump sign. That was where we were, and I think to a certain extent still where we are, which is why he always performs better in polls. I mean, New Hampshire is just remarkable because you know the situation there. I've explained it. I'm from New Hampshire. You can be an independent in New Hampshire, and you can still vote in the primaries. It's kind of this special quirky thing, and they like it. They pride themselves on it, and they think, oh, well, this is great because it forces candidates to move more to the middle. It gives independents more of a voice. The only problem with that is in an election cycle like this one, where you have so many Democrats and kind of extremists on the left that hate Trump so much, well, they're out there going in and voting as, quote, independents, but for Nikki Haley. And what did that do? It gave her some support. But frankly, not even anywhere near what she would have needed. I mean, uh, she's got Democrats voting for her, and she still can't win in New Hampshire. He had a very, very big victory there, but it was even bigger than you would have thought. The other thing is when we look at all these polls right now, given this cancel culture on steroids and people's fear of saying what they're really for or who they're for, they don't want to actually say to the pollsters, yeah, I'm voting for Trump, because you never know what that might mean. I mean, it's, it's incredible, some of the stories I've heard some people that will come up to me very confidentially. They see me in the airport or somewhere, and they'll say, gosh, you know, I, I, I so agree with you, but I, I can't say this. I mean, what kind of society do we live in where you can't actually say what you think? Well, this is what they're using. It's a tactic. It's an intimidation tactic, and it's very successful. 
You got one side completely shooting down the other. By the way, there are people, not just on the left, but on the so-called right as well, that want to continue that momentum of let's just shut them down, shut them all down, shut them up. They're going to go away because we're going to threaten them with everything. We're going to threaten them with their you know, reputation forever. You will be remembered forever. You know, Liz Cheney went on some little podcast and she's talking to someone who clearly um, was totally in her camp. And they started talking about Elise Stefanik, you know, the representative from New York who way to go, Elise, smart lady, went to Harvard and took down the Harvard president, frankly, I mean, it was an MIT and UPenn when she had them all there on Congressional Hill and she, Capitol Hill, she was invested, you know, there's an investigation going on, by the way, it's still ongoing specifically into Harvard, but all of those schools, because they get your taxpayer dollars. And she was looking at the anti-Semitism, et cetera, and she really, she just let them have it. It was a big, big deal. Elise Stefanik is a smart woman, but Liz Cheney wants to just squash her, squash her like a bug because she's on Trump's side. This is why, and then she goes out and threatens that, you know, her reputation forever is going to be ruined. I want to play this clip for you because this is what they're perpetuating. And this, friends, is bad. You know, history teaches us that when autocrats come to power, they have to have people who are willing to support them and enable them and, and collaborate with them. And and history will, you know, judge them um, in my view, as harshly as as it will judge Trump, because he can't do what he's doing without without them. So anybody that's around Trump, right? Everybody's like, oh, Peter Navarro got four months in jail. There was one commentator that made an appearance on CNN saying, gosh, I think it was Claire McCaskill saying, gosh, I wish it was four years. You see, they all want to punish these people, Liz Cheney included in that. And they're saying, oh, these autocrats, these dictators, you know, they need the help and support of all of those around them. I'm sorry, but what do you think has been going on with Joe Biden? Let's be very clear. I mean, they're not as open about it, right? But they have most definitely made every effort to ensure that people that are not on their side are wiped out, just wiped out. And so don't sit there with a straight face and tell me that, oh, Donald Trump's the problem. Don't sit there with a straight face, by the way, and tell me that he's the reincarnation of Hitler. Because, you know, I'll tell you this, guys, you know what? That is darn insulting, disgusting to say. It is insulting to history. It is insulting to the millions of Jews that perished, nearly wiped out an entire ethnicity. And, and you know what else? It's, it's, it's extremely disrespectful to the soldiers that fought in World War II. It is, it is just so bad in every way, shape, or form, and yet they get away with this. They say this stuff. No one's calling them out on it. I am, I am, and I will always call it, because you know what? I watch MSNBC, and I'm like, wow, you want to talk extremists. I mean, these people are kind of nuts. One of them goes by the initials R. M, Rachel Maddow I'm talking about. I played some of those clips the other day for you. Unbelievable. I mean, look, it's got to stop, okay? Because everybody deserves a voice. We can have discussions and arguments, et cetera, but why are we actually trying to 
to cancel out anybody who has a different viewpoint. You see, Liz Cheney's all about power. Power, 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 power. They're all about power. They're not about seeing America succeed. They're not about helping everyday Americans to live a more prosperous and safe, by the way, life. There's no better example of this than what we see going on at the border. I'm blown away by the staggering numbers that we are witnessing coming into our border illegally every single month. And by the way, these are, these are just the people they're catching, right? So 300,000 last month that they caught. What about all the people that get through? I mean, this, these numbers, they're not sustainable. They're not in any way normal. Can I show you this video coming to us from La Jolla, California, Tony, spiffy, lovely La Jolla, California, where like people are coming right there up there on the beach. This is good, actually. This is good because those, those residents in La Jolla ought to know what it's like, right? They ought to know just exactly how this is all going down. You see, you get a little boat and this is nothing, right? Like this is absolutely nothing. But the boat coming to shore, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, good for you. Way to go. That makes me very happy to hear. If you're watching it on YouTube or Facebook or Rumble, also makes me very happy to hear. Just make sure you go and you subscribe everywhere. <laughs> you know what? We gotta, We just got to like, we got to get them all. We got to get them all. So thank you for that. Um, here, you know, you, you, the, the police come, et cetera. La Jolla is a pretty spiffy town. So this is interesting. This is like the Martha's Vineyard thing, you know, when, when the migrants started showing up in Martha's Vineyard, but they're coming there on their boat into La Jolla, California, where I guess, you know, that's the place to be because Gavin Newsom has promised, ladies and gentlemen, that you'd get free health care. He doesn't care that California $60 billion in debt. Oh, off they run. He doesn't care. He's going to spend another $2 billion more so that you can make sure all of those people get the health care that they need. I mean, I don't know what happens to like the Californians that are there already when they don't have health care. What, what do you do about that? Well, this is a problem. This is a problem, and it's continuing to be a problem. But as long as we're talking about California, I want to show you this clip of Gavin Newsom from, hmm, was it 2018? This is back when Donald Trump was the president, and he's kind of proud of this. He's saying how they've got immigration under control, and they're doing such a good job. of it. it wasn't him, let's be honest. That was the policy that was coming from the Trump administration. But here he is in his 2018 state of the state bragging about his immigration policy in California and what a good job he's doing. It wasn't him. Remember that. All right. And remember what I just showed you out of La Jolla, California. Here we go. So let's just state the facts. We are currently experiencing the lowest number of border crossings since 1971. In California, like our nation, our undocumented population is at the lowest level in more than a decade. Okay, so I, I think those were bragging rights there. Like, we, we don't know how many undocumented people compared to where we were 10 years ago. Hey, we got the least number of people coming in since 1971. Could that, might that have had anything to do with the Trump administration's strong border policy? Could it have had anything to do with the whole stay in Mexico policy? I mean, you think? Well, that stay in Mexico policy, you know what? Joe Biden didn't like that. And while he was campaigning in August 2020, we dug up 
quite a gem for you. This is, you got to see this guys, because he was out there doing the rounds, the media rounds from the basement, as we used to joke, you know, with the teleprompter and this, that, and the other. But anyway, he went on this one show and he started, he was asked this question about you know, why we didn't have more immigrants. Why didn't we have more people coming across the border? And he says effectively, I'll let him say it, but like, we just got to open it up and we're going to rely on charity. Kid you not, watch. Mr. Vice President, under the Trump administration, asylum has virtually ended. ICE detention centers are practically empty. Uh, your new plan calls for reversing President Trump's harsh plan. But won't that restart a brand new border crisis? I mean, what, what would you do with all those people in camps now waiting in Mexico? It, it will if we don't do it well. If we don't reach out to the to the, uh, the communities that are willing to the charitable communities that will come in and help and and in addition to us spending millions of dollars providing for access access for judges access for asylum folks to be on the border to move quickly because if we just say okay all done we I've withdrawn the order you're going to have a crisis on the other side of the border as well and we should Oh, you don't want that. Can't have a crisis in Mexico. No, we have to have the crisis here. And we're going to hope that people are charitable. We're going to get charities involved. And then we're going to get lots of money because, you know, those taxpayers out there, they get tons. (laughs) We're going to get lots of money so we can pay for judges and we can pay for courts and we can pay for this whole asylum procedure process so that you can then, what, make people American citizens? I mean, this this is insane. This is absolutely positively insane and then you look at what's going on today ladies and gentlemen we got a problem what do you know a serious problem it is so serious that you look at democrat mayors all over the country right now and they're like whoa we didn't see this one coming i mean what about the the mayor of denver he tries so hard to be so sweet and nice and oh we want everybody to be here and we love them all but but cost money like 10% of our budget that we don't have. Let's check out the Denver, Colorado mayor admitting that reality bites. You know that without federal support and without federal action, the impact on a city like Denver is this would be a $180 million impact on our budget in 2024. That's more than 10% of our entire city budget. And so. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. 10% of the city budget. I mean, you've already heard from Eric Adams. He's persona non grata in the Biden administration because he's like, hey, we're New York City and we got our hospital beds in New York being taken up by migrants. We've got schools that we have to shut down in Brooklyn because there's a storm coming and we need to house the migrants. I mean, it's one thing after another. And there is such a thing as, well, I'll just point out, I'll go back to Margaret Thatcher. At some point in socialism, you run out of other people's money. And in this case, you're running out of money, Joe. You don't have the money. So how are you going to fix this? You can't just open up the spigot. And by the way, you have single-handedly Joe Biden effectively created some kind of crisis, unlike anything, frankly, that we have seen, certainly in my lifetime. I mean, people talk, they throw around these terms, you know, we're looking at a civil war. I like to say, well, not like, like, not like that, but in other ways, possibly, you know, I was listening to my good friend Dan Bongino the other day on his show, and he's like, wait a second, wait a second, you know, these people all have weapons. So that was alarming to hear, but this is also alarming to see. I, I want to show you what uh, 
What this map is, ladies and gentlemen, uh, 25 states now siding with Texas. The other day we were doing the story, it was like 12 and then it was 14. Well, half of all U.S. states right now, they're siding with Texas in this border dispute because Texas is trying to protect itself. Texas is trying to protect the country. Texas is saying, okay, we're going to put up a barbed wire fence. Biden says, you can't do that. You can't do that. We're going to take it down. And then the Supreme Court, they sided with Biden on this one. And consequently, we're living in a situation where our states are not being protected. Certainly not Texas. And I'm going to quote for you Section 4, right here, the Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution. Not that one. True, I'm going to get to that one because that's a good one, too. That's Section 10. But first, Section 4, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. Invasion. Protect them against invasion. And then it goes on, and on application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. In other words, violence happening here in our nation. Like if, if you have a, a crazy riot going on, right? Is it time to call the feds? If you've got an invasion at your border, is it time to call the feds? 25 states now saying, you know what? The feds aren't there for us. So we're going to go to exactly what I drew in, in the control room there, just pulled up. And that is, is this section 10? Like article, we're trying to keep everything straight here. Um, article, here we go. Section 10, maybe article one, section 10, clause three, article one, section 10, clause three. And, and this is important because now states are saying they can actually come together because the federal government's like, hey, what are you doing? The 25 of you can't like join together in opposition to us. That's not allowed unless you look at this thing. Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3. No state shall, blah, 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 you know, without the consent of Congress, etc. Enter into any agreement or compact with any other state or engage in war unless actually invaded. You get that? Unless actually invaded. So remember that, Article 1, I'm writing it down. <laughs> Section 10, Clause 3. So the question is, is this an invasion? Seems like it. Certainly seems like it. And, you know, we haven't even talked about the national security implications of what's happening, especially when you see so many people are coming from China. So many of them from China. And you have many from the Middle East as well. And I'm sorry, but I'm not trusting this government and this ragtag team to get it right. It's one reason why Republicans are inching closer and closer to impeaching Mr. Mayorkas. That would be the Homeland Security Director who's done a really, really horrible job at this. You can see they're getting ready. They're, they're putting the finishing touches on these articles of impeachment against Secretary Mayorkas. Because this team, the B-team, the Biden team, they don't know what they're doing. And they don't have the proper incentive to do what they need to do. I want to play this thing again. I'm just so excited that we found this from 2020, August 2020. He said it right there. He warned us. Nobody took it seriously. I guess we already saw we were at the lowest rate of people coming into our country because we had policies 
We talked about a border wall. And then all of a sudden, Joe Biden out there on the campaign trail is like, I mean, really off in left field. I was going to say he's smoking something. I don't know. But watch him again. Mr. Vice President, under the Trump administration, asylum has virtually ended. ICE detention centers are practically empty. Uh, Your new plan calls for reversing President Trump's harsh plan. But won't that restart a brand new border crisis? I mean, what what would you do with all those people in camps now waiting in Mexico? It, it will if we don't do it well. If we don't so he reach knew. out he knew it to, the, he said it to the, uh, the communities that are willing to, the charitable communities that will come in and help. And, and in addition to us I'm going spending out to charity, millions of dollars providing for access, access for judges, access for asylum folks to be on the border to move quickly. Because if we just say, OK, all done. We, I've withdrawn the order. You're going to have a crisis on the other side of the border as well. <laughs> we should have known better, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what? Fool me once. What's the expression? You know, it's 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 on you. Fool me twice. It's on me. Effectively, I don't think American voters are going to be fooled again. I think they've seen what could be, and they don't want it. You know, and it's not just the border. I mean, think about what's going on internationally. Think about what we are challenged with. Quick reminder, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I cannot tell you how important this is. You've got to subscribe. If you haven't, do me, do me that one favor. I'm here every day, free for you, and I will continue to be so because, you know what, this is so critical and it's so important. I'm so passionate about it. I know you are too. And we've we got we to stick together on this. But this is very important. What I'm about to tell you, you need to understand because we learned today that there are multiple members of the UN staff that have now been fired because they were allegedly involved in those heinous horrific attacks on Israel on October 7th. So the UN relief agency operating in Gaza actually said Friday that Israel had accused some of its staff of being involved in the October 7th attacks. And they now say that those contracts will be immediately terminated. The U.S. says it's very, very concerned. They've released a statement. Actually, I believe the Pentagon released a statement. They're very concerned and they're investigating this. So these are pretty serious allegations. So U.N. staff members potentially being involved in this. This is a particular branch of the U.N. that's involved in relief. So this is the U.N. Relief and Works Agency. Here's a little something for you. October 7th, those horrific attacks happened. Guess what Joe Biden did on October 10th? He gave these guys $730 million. The UN group. $730 million, the same group that is now being accused of having been involved in the attacks. So it gets back to this, that we, we seem to have somebody who is naive, maybe? Like, that's, that's the best thing. I don't know if Duke can pull this up for us, but, you know, there's that soundbite from Trump the other day saying, like, he doesn't get it. Like, these are people that either hate the country or are just really, really, really stupid. I mean, that's my, my version of naive. They're naive. He said it. He said it well. And it's actually, I think, 
quite true because it's got to be one thing or the other. You're like, how can they keep getting it wrong over and over and over again? But then again, think about who's advising Joe Biden. That would be Anthony Blinken. And Anthony Blinken has a history of just being dead wrong on everything. In fact, McCain even said this. He's like, this guy has been wrong on every piece of foreign policy for his entire career. McCain actually wouldn't even vote for Blinken to be deputy secretary of state. And he's like, look, this is during the Obama administration. I really don't like to have to do this because I think elections have consequences and people should be able to choose their own people, et cetera. But Blinken, McCain promised, would get people killed, Americans killed, innocent people killed. And I I think back to that soundbite. I can see it so crystal clear. We're going to have to play it for you one of these days. I have played it in the past. But anyway, he was on the floor there on Capitol Hill. And I'm like, wow, think of what's going on right now. And those words, you know, regardless of what you think about McCain, they come back to haunt me in a pretty big way. We got a whole lot of problems, a whole lot of problems. We got border problems, economic problems. We got international problems and we got woke problems. This story just cracks me up. So, I told you guys the other day, I, like, I didn't know what a Stanley Cup was because apparently I'm like living under a rock because <laughs> all these people love them. Have you seen some of the video of these people going crazy, crazy, crazy for these Stanley Cups? Let's see. They're just like rushing the stores. It's really, it's something to see. And it's release day. Those are the ones everyone wants. Oh, oh oops. Are those the right ones? <laughs> oh, these are people waiting outside. This is the sherry line for the I mean, waiting outside so you can buy a Stanley Cup. Whoa! I mean, we spent I guess we really shouldn't be worried about inflation, yes, I know right? You're thinking it's a cup. Why, what are you doing? On the other hand, I love my daughter and we were bored. So we got there like at 1.40 in the morning and it was a ghost town because it was Target in the middle of the night. But once we saw the cup, we knew we were in the right spot. We brought the new puppy with us and just waited for people to show up. And they did. So we hopped out of the car, brought the chairs and made sure we were first in line. So it was almost three o'clock in the morning and that's when people started to show up. I mean, these people are dedicated. We just watched one by one and the line was massive and it was cold, like 40 degrees cold, but we got through it and I ordered Whataburger delivered in line. So if you know, you know how you done. At this point, the store's about to open and look at this line. Guys, are, are we okay? Insane. No. The answer is insane, right? Like who would have, I won't even like wait in line for brunch on a Sunday at the diner. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't need it that bad. I don't need anything that bad. I'm going to sit overnight. That poor little girl having to go and do that. But it's kind of a funny video. And, and I, I'm glad he, he made it because you know what? We need to see that. We need to see how crazy the world is right now. These Stanley Cups, they have taken off, ladies and gentlemen. But I'm telling you, Target, like, it just can't get anything right. I mean, first of all, it had its crazy nutcracker thing. Remember the nutcracker that created a big, big, big stir, created a big stir because it came out at Christmas time and it was like the pride nutcracker. <laughs> and, and, you know, the view ladies had some fun with it. Jesse Waters had some fun with it. We had some fun with it. Yeah, that thing. So, and then they had the whole like, you know, cutesy onesies for, for pride month that people were kind of offended with by, uh, last summer. And so it's been hard for target. I mean, you, you look at the Stock price, which has seen its share of challenges. Some of the earnings have not been what one would have thought from Target, in part because, like, it just keeps tripping over itself. Well, it did it again because it's firing employees 
that are buying these Stanley Cups, like, like firing them. And there's one poor woman who had worked there for years and years and years and years, like many years. You need workers, Target, right now that are willing to stick with you for many years. And she actually wanted to buy one of these pink Stanley Cups because her mom had passed away from breast cancer. And, and it was just kind of, it was like a sentimental thing. And they fired her. I mean, what is going on? They're getting fired for buying these limited edition Stanley Cups. I mean, many levels here. One, why does anybody want these things so badly? Two, why is Target like so paranoid? It's, it's you know, firing its longtime employees over. It's just one more headache for Target. You know, I'm telling you, this company, they can't figure it out. We had Jerry Stork on the other day, and, you know, he used to be the vice chairman of Target. And he's like, they, they're messed up. Like, they can't even get their inventory levels right. And their aisles are messy. And then what did he tell me? He used one of those expressions, buy one, get one free. They're called something like a bogey, buy one, get one free. I can't remember exactly, but anyway, buy one, get one free. He's like, we never used to do that at Target. You know, we were like, we were, you know, kind of the sophisticated place. We didn't do the buy one, get one free stuff. That was for Walmart. Well, Target does that now too. So they're, they're kind of desperate and they're doing everything they can to try to bring the crowds back. It's not happening. And now they get some bad headlines because of these Stanley Cups. So here's the kicker on the Stanley Cup thing. You see the story on the screen here? Lead poisoning? <sighs> so the Today Show even did a thing on this. Apparently, there's some concern about risk of lead exposure in these things that everybody's waiting outside at Target to try and get. And it was confirmed by the company, which said, well, you know, it's like not a big deal, right? You don't really have to worry about it because the particular composition of this lead that is in the product wouldn't actually get digested by you. So Stanley responded to concerns. They said, yes, lead is used in the manufacturing process, but the product needs to become damaged in order to expose the lead. Well, okay, so what does that mean, damaged? Like, I put it through my dishwasher a few times and it's damaged enough that some of that lead might actually, like, possibly be ingested by me if I were to use this. It's like, see, it's good. It's good that I didn't know about these things, right? It's really good that I did not know anything about the Stanley Cups because I don't really need to have one. Apparently, they're really good at keeping things hot. But um, I don't take my coffee to go anyway. <laughs> Thank you. I, I drink my coffee in the kitchen at home in the morning, and I don't take it on the road. So I don't need a Stanley Cup. There's some social media influencers who have like multi, and like it's a big thing. Oh my God, she's got 13 Stanley Cups. I don't know. I'll tell you, you know, we worry about our economy. We worry about society. And then we find out stuff like this. Another crazy story I'm just going to share with you guys before I let you go on this Friday. And this is weird. This is, this is wacky. And I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. So apparently, according to this new study out of, I think it's Glasgow, you can tell whether somebody is rich or poor based on their face. Huh. And this is not like one of the DEI things. <laughs> this is just... Apparently, like the size or shape of your nose and your mouth. And that. let me give you some details because I just actually thought this was really weird. And I don't get this. Like, oh, I, you know what we should have done? We should have like covered the rich and poor and then we could have done a little quiz and been like, who's rich, who's poor, based on these pictures. <laughs> I mean, could you tell if you didn't actually look at it? Apparently, according to this article, Bo Zuckerberg 
And Bezos, who just celebrated his 60th birthday with quite a bash, quite a bash. Um, they, they apparently have these characteristics. Mm, who knew? Who knew? Who knew? So some of the characteristics include the shape of the nose. Apparently you need a thinner nose and you want a more upturn in the lip and, and the jawline. All of these things allegedly are, are coming into play. Again, I don't really buy it. I don't buy any of this, but they say people who are perceived to be of high or low social class standing are also often judged as having advantageous or unfavorable traits, respectively. Such judgments are formed even just from facial appearance, and this can have substantial downstream consequences, including disadvantaging those who are perceived to be a lower social class standing. So what's the deal? If you have a certain shape, lip, or nose, or your eyes are closer or further apart now, are you going to be able to say, hey, 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 I'm part of that class that's disadvantaged, and and now you got to look out for me because apparently just because my eyes are not as close together, that's one of the things, apparently if you have close together eyes, somehow you're, you're perceived as rich or going to be rich. I mean, this is, this is so silly, and this is so wacky. And the fact that anybody spent money on this study, I don't know. Quote, our research demonstrates how specific facial attributes play a pivotal role in connecting social class perceptions and related stereotypes. These findings are not only valuable for advancing our understanding of central social perception theories, but could also help with future interventions <laughs> designed to interrupt biased perceptions. Well, I mean, like, does that worry you at all? Like at all? I mean, again, this is all, I said it wasn't DEI, but it kind of is, right? Like this is what they're doing this study because they want to make sure that they can intervene because there's these little things like whether or not your eyes are close or far apart that apparently people judge you on. Whether the, the, the nose is thin or a little bit wider. I mean, those two people look pretty much the same to me, right? It just looks like one is in a certain kind of lighting and the other is in another kind of lighting. And, and yet, um, apparently, according to the study's authors, it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I'm just trying to... They, they also did a similar study out of Toronto, but I'm wondering if I have that right, if this one was from Glasgow, I, I would hate to be wrong on that. Uh, it was from an overseas study. Okay. It, no, I was right. Why do I ever doubt myself? I was right. University of Glasgow, a new study from University of Glasgow. It, it surveyed people about what makes someone look rich. Wow. Okay. So let me give you the characteristics that you, you need to hear. People with wider, shorter, and flatter faces as well as downturned mouth, remember, keep, keep, it, keep it smiling, <laughs> and cooler complexions were viewed as lower class, less trustworthy, and incompetent. <laughs> People also associated these features, apparently the good ones, I'll get to the, those are the bad ones, we'll get to the good ones that they associate with trustworthiness. So that would be people with more narrow faces, smiley, upturned mouths, raised eyebrows, closely spaced eyes, and a light, warmer complexion looks wealthier. Okay, enough, enough. Can we just like see people not by how they look or the color of their skin or their gender or this, that, and the other? Can we just like actually just appreciate people for being people? 
wild thought, right? I'll leave you with that on a Friday. Hey, listen, guys, it's really good to see you all. It's good to have you here. I hope you get some big weekend plans. I actually have a friend visiting. I'm going to, I'm going to bring him back on the show because he's a, uh, he was an executive, uh, Tony award-winning producer of some Broadway musicals. You know, I'm a sucker for the Broadway musical. Anyway, he, he produced some big ones and he's visiting from LA and one of the things, I got to get him on the show because I want to ask him, why are there no good musicals? I mean, like Cats, I didn't think it was good, but it ran forever. Phantom of the Opera, I also didn't think that was good. Although I did audition for the part of Christine for the European edition of Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> but you didn't know that? I was a singer. Some of you guys know that. Anyway, so uh, Phantom of the Opera was a long-lasting one. We had some wonderful Oscars in Hammerstein years ago, right? Even Sondheim. We've had some great, great shows in the past, but we don't have them now. And I want to know why. I mean, he's kind of alluded to the fact that you have so much political correctness going on within that space. So that's one reason. But we'll, we'll bring him on the show maybe next week or something to kind of explain it all. Anyway, thank you, Rick. I'm glad you like my outfit. Ed, good to see you here. DVC, welcome, mister. Good to have you here. Charles, everyone, great to see you. We will discuss more of all of this tomorrow. By the way, make sure that you have subscribed to the audio version, to this version. We've got clips coming all weekend long. Share them, talk about them. Every bit helps. We're in this together. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday.